You can turn with me to Titus chapter 1. We're going to finish off chapter 1 today of Titus. Again, if you're just joining us, this is uh, one of the pastoral epistles. One of the letters that Paul wrote to his ministry protégés, Titus and Timothy, right? The first and second Timothy are just to your left, Genesis direction uh, in, in in the Bible. And the book of Titus is the third pastoral epistle. The epistle being written from Paul to explain to Titus what he needs to do once he gets to his ministry location, which was the holiday island of Crete. Basically think a college getaway, Vegas-styled island in the Mediterranean. Sin abounds there. It was a lazy, it was a, an adulterous, it was a sexual, it was a violent sort of place to be. It was every teenage boy's dream. And Titus is sent there to go in, set things straight, get all these, these Christians who had sort of gathered in houses and were worshipping. He says, get them together, form, form more formal churches, and put over them elders who will, who will teach, who will bring things into order. We saw this last week. But he then gives all these qualifications. If a man's going to lead the church, going to teach the church, he has to have, verse 5 through 9, all of these wonderful, godly abilities and qualifications. And they really are. They're not something spectacular, something that puts them on an upper echelon of Christianity. It's just basic Christianity lived out through the life of a godly man who God has called to be in a church to bless the people. Well, we're going to see, and this is, this is quite unpopular in the Christian church today. It's, it's just unnatural for us to love this sort of thing, uh, mostly. But it's also somewhat a fruit uh, of, of an unhealthy view of Christianity, right? Many Christians just think that the chief, the highest, the most godly thing that you can be is nice and peaceable. Just don't cause any trouble. Don't offend anybody. Be super nice. That's the fruit of the Spirit. And while we'll get into this later, peace is is a good thing. Being kind is a fruit of the Spirit. And yet, the reality in this fallen world is that while Paul will write positively to say, here's some great qualifications, necessary qualifications for the good man of God to lead a church, that's not enough. He then also, because these evil men are present, is going to go and define and attack and train Titus to go to war against these false teachers, these men who are causing havoc and disunity in the local church, mainly through false teaching. So this next section we're going to read, verse 10 to 16, is all about Paul writing to Titus, telling him who to look out for, what to do with them, and what the consequences are if he will not. So, let us read verse 10 to verse 16, this shiny little passage of Scripture. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced, since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Christians are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. And may God bless the reading of this precious, important, necessary, authoritative word to us this morning. I want to I want to uh, make sure that as as, as we we go here, we understand Paul's mind. He. He knows that he would love to just be the, the, the pastor who comes in and builds everything up and is super nice and kind and positive, and, but he can't be that. We, we've covered that. Uh, it's necessary. If you've ever done gardening, maybe bringing in, a new, uh, bringing in some new trees to your area, planting some beautiful roses. My wife's just been doing this the past week at our, at our garden. And, and what is necessary first, before the wife comes in and plants her beautiful fertilized roses, is that the husband, in the heat of the day, has to go out and clear the rock-hard ground 
It was fun, not complaining. Clear the ground so that there aren't weeds, bricks, tiles, rocks, old Coke cans, all the sorts of things you find in, in dirt that has not been cleared for a while. So Paul's making clear what you need to do first is, Titus, go through, clear the ground, get rid of the evil talkers, the false teachers, get rid of them, then the elders who you will uh, lay your hands on, pray over, and set over the church, then they can do their work. And make sure you train that these men are equipped also to do this work. So it's going to be quite negative in this section, but then from chapter 2 onwards, he's going to focus again on sound doctrine doing the positive work, building up the church, because this is really the theme of Titus. Sound doctrine and good works, they go together. They're so necessary in a local church. So let us look here. I want to show you first uh, uh, the, the spectrum of false teaching. I, I think this would be helpful. I've had a, I had a few conversations explaining this to people, and, and it seems helpful. I, I want to do it for us all together. When we talk about false churches, false teachers, bad churches, there is a spectrum. Okay, we can't just say everybody who doesn't believe what we believe at this church is a false teacher. They're out the back door. They're going to hell. The heaven will be filled with Reformed Baptists. And that's about it. But we need to be very careful because there are unhealthy, terrible, ungodly, false churches and teachers. But we need to be careful how we, how we define them. So, so we have right down on this end of the spectrum, we have false teachers. Okay, false teachers, when, when, and, and I say this because so many people throw this line out for people who simply uh, teach errors, and, and that's not accurate. False teachers in Scripture really is synonymous with unconverted, unregenerate ministers of Satan. Some titles that are thrown out for those people from godly men in Scripture are whores, adulterers, dogs, snakes, servants of Satan, and the list goes on. False prophets, all of these things. So when we call false teachers, what I want you to think is, I have confident assurance because of the teaching or life of this man or woman that they are unconverted, right? That is a heavy uh, uh, call to make on somebody, but it is sometimes necessary. And don't let anybody tell you, you never have enough evidence to say that, right? None of us can, you know, God's the judge. We don't know where people are at. Paul tells Titus to tell the elders it's possible to know where people are at. <clears throat> These people are spoken of in Jeremiah 23, where God says that they are going to speak when I have not spoken to them. They want to prophesy for God when God has not told them to prophesy. There is no greater act of enmity against God than not only not submitting to him, not only living in sin like everybody else does, but then climbing up onto a platform and claiming that you are speaking what you have heard from the covenant triune God of Scripture. That, that puts you at the front line to be fired at by God's judgment. And so it happens in Scripture. They're called whitewashed tombs by Jesus. They, are, they look polished, they look nice, they sound great on the outside. On the inside, they're dead. And they're swallowing more and more people as the days go on. Examples of these in Scripture would be Judas, one who taught much, who, who lived under the ministry of Jesus, but was ultimately unconverted and fell away through his own betrayal of Christ and suicide. We also see examples in the New Testament like those in the Galatian church. You'll, you'll read at the beginning of Galatians that Paul uh, talks to the church saying, these men who are among you, they are trying to teach a different gospel. It says in verse 6 of chapter 1, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some of you who there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Right? This is highline heresy, faith-destroying, non-Christian, unorthodox heresy. But even, this is Paul's emphasis, even if we, right, even if Paul rocks up this morning, or an angel from heaven should come and preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you at first, let him be accursed. That, that's other words for they're going to hell, let them go there, leave them alone, avoid them at all costs. They're going to hell if they distort the gospel, if they teach otherwise than the triune God, hell. If they 
deny or confuse justification by faith alone. Hell. They confuse or, or deny the divinity and the, and the manhood of Jesus Christ in two natures. Hell. That's Paul. He's straightforward. He's strong because he loves the flock of God. He loves the church of God. So he's clear. All right, so that's false teachers. <clears throat> then you've got dangerous teachers who are, I'm going to put just a little bit further down towards the, the good spectrum, uh, the good end of the spectrum. They're, they're not great. They are bad. That's why we call them dangerous teachers. These are people who sound almost heretical. These are guys who are saying things. Maybe they've got great podcasts, big videos on, on Facebook and YouTube, huge churches, and they're saying things that you can't necessarily say is outright heresy. And, and when you ask them later, oh, they, they, sort, of, they sort of clarify, they, they re-explain, they sort of somewhat put themselves back under the, the umbrella of evangelicalism. But man, you just want to stay away from them. They're, 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 they're the sort of teacher that you can sit under their preaching and you can believe heresy and it wouldn't be commanded against. You can live under them and, and live in sin and it won't be disciplined. They're dangerous teachers because what they say is more attuned to how to get people in seats rather than souls to Christ. They don't preach through the Bible. They, or they do it, but they, they, they dance on this line of heresy and novel, unorthodox teaching. You want to be careful of them. They're dangerous. In Scripture, we hear them given such names as unfit for the role that they're in. They are, they are to be judged harshly. These are, these are unfaithful men. We even see, and this is why we, we should be careful with this one, we can't necessarily say they're unsaved. Because even Peter found himself in this category in the life of Christ. He was, was speaking to Jesus, saying, no, you don't need to go to the cross. Jesus calls him Satan. Get out of here. And then even later on in his life, he then starts uh, doing, we don't have all the time to go into, but Paul explains it in Galatia. Uh, in Galatians, he explains that Peter was sort of siding with the heretics who were denying the, the Gentiles' equality in Christianity. And Paul comes in, kind of riding in on a white horse. Everybody's sitting down. Paul calls out Peter from across the room. Stand up. You're in error. Everybody, don't listen to Peter, right? Even the apostle swung into this little category. So we can't necessarily say that. They're unsaved, but we must say they're dangerous. They need to sit down, be trained, be taught if they're teachable. They're unfit for the role at the moment. Peter, as an apostle, repented quickly and was okay. Then we have false shepherds. I'm, I'm going to say that these men, are, we have no reason, oh, well, I won't say that. We have no reason to jump to the conclusion that they're unsaved. We have false teachers, unregenerate. Dangerous teachers, can't say, avoid them. Then we have bad teachers or, or false shepherds. And these are men who may be saved. They know Jesus. They know enough of evangelical doctrine to say one-on-one -on -one they're Christians. But they have been unduly put over the house of God and they are unable to teach clearly. They are unable to refute bad doctrine and thus protect the church of God. This is, I'm sorry to say, the majority of evangelical churches in the world today that have a platform. So many churches have in their midst people who believe heresy or false teachers rise up and they're never taken down because these false shepherds, right, they may be, they may be Christians themselves, but as shepherds to defend the flock, they just aren't fit for the role. They also need to be sat down. They're spoken of in Ezekiel chapter 34. I'm actually going to read from that to get a sense of the, the weight with which God speaks to people Without necessary, and, and we need to think this way, it's okay to speak this way without having to call somebody unconverted, right? We often think, until you know somebody's unconverted, you can't speak harshly. Not true, not true. In Ezekiel chapter 34, God speaks through Ezekiel to those who would set themselves up as the shepherds of Israel. Halfway through verse 2, he says, Ah, shepherds of Israel who have not, sorry, who have been feeding yourselves. Should you not be feeding the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness, you have ruled them. 
So they were scattered because there was, because there, there was no shepherd. They became food for the wild beasts. Notice, he's not saying you're the wild beasts. He's saying you have been unfaithful and allowed wild beasts to come in. That my sheep were scattered. They wandered all over the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Hear what he calls them? My sheep. They're sheep belonging to God, to Christ, our high shepherd, our good shepherd, who gave his life for these sheep. And so God considers, considers it so seriously when even Christian men standing up do not protect them enough. So we've got false teachers, dangerous teachers, false shepherds. they just got bad teachers, guys who cannot clarify, who cannot teach well, who cannot, they, they try their best, but they just need more training. Maybe they will be great shepherds, great pastors one day, but need to sit down for the moment. And then you've got good, godly, biblical shepherds. The Bible will call these men elders, servants, pastors, use Terms such as able to teach, exemplify godliness. They pour their life out for the gospel and for the elect of God. So there's our spectrum. Let's be, let's be careful in how we categorize other churches and other people and other teachers. But when enough evidence comes forward, let's not be sheepish about putting people into categories. That keeps people honest. But Titus is going into Crete, and he's having to deal with probably number one and two over here. False, unconverted teachers. And dangerous teachers. These, because he seems to think that some of them can be, can be corrected, but others you just need to get rid of. And we'll see that. Let's go into some, some, uh, some attributes. The nature of these men. What they're like. And we're going to go from verse 10 onwards. <clears throat> verse 10. Here's what they're like. There are many who are insubordinate empty talkers, and deceivers. What it's speaking here, when it says insubordinate, it means uh, they're unruly. It, it literally means they're not subject to authority. Meaning that, now you might think if somebody's a teacher, he's, he's not subject to any authority. He's the leader. He's the anointed of God. He can do and say as he pleases. But friends, I think we know that's not the case. Men who are leaders in the church of God are under authority. Everybody on earth is under authority. It's just a question of which authority are you under. Even kings and emperors are under authority of, of God. They are God's servants to do that role. And therefore, we can call them to that account when they govern wrongly. But also, elders and shepherds in the house of God, are, they are, the, the difference is not that shepherds are, and, and good teachers are under authority, and no one, uh, sorry, are above authority while everyone else is under but that these men are under authority, gladly submitting and doing their service well, under the high shepherd. We are under shepherds. False teachers, what you need to notice, this is characteristic number one. They love to buck off all authority. They're outside of all other denominational lines. They don't submit to other elders, other men. They push strong leadership away from them. They don't submit themselves to accountability with other people. They love, they thrive when they're out on their own without people asking questions, keeping check on them. This is insubordinate. But also, <clears throat> they are empty talkers. Do you see this? They're insubordinate, empty talkers. They have nothing good to say. It doesn't mean they're not talking. They will talk. They'll talk long. They'll talk loud. They'll talk emphatically. They'll, they'll cry while they speak. They'll, they'll emphasize all that they have to say and how godly and divine it all really is. But friends, it's empty. It's all empty. It's like receiving a huge package that you've been waiting for. You cut it open and just, just gas comes out. There's nothing. And it evaporates up into the air for no good. Such, Jude will say, such is the man who teach falsely. They are clouds with no rain. They come, they promise all of this great blessing and downpouring, and there's nothing in them. And people die. People wither and die under that kind of teaching. <clears throat> They're empty talkers. Here's what we need to realize, though. This is so important, just, just for all of Christianity. Doctrine is for life. Doctrine is for life. The reason uh, so many uh, Christians are powerless in their strive to obey is because all they're given is commands. Without the support, 
the energy, the fuel of doctrine, of truth, of the glorious promises of God, of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. They're not given this doctrine, this theology, this truth, the truth of Scripture. And so all they're given is direction, and they don't have the sustenance to continue. But, but what you realize is, is in, from Scripture we understand that ideas, all ideas, have consequences. Every terrible political party that has driven a nation into the ground or brought about mass murder or religious persecution, any, any huge effect like that starts in the mind of a few. It's ideas which, when worked out, always have consequences. This is true whether it's good truth or evil truth or, or falsehood. Ephesians 4 sort of gives us an idea of this. In Ephesians 4, actually I've got it written here, the Apostle Paul says, and what he's getting at is that all theology, whether it's true theology or false theology, it always has a direction. It always has application whether or not you're aware of it. He says, and I'll explain it afterwards, but he says, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Right? Doctrine is for maturity. Doctrine is for life. It's for building up and equipping people for every good work. Verse 14, So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind and wave of doctrine by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Ideas have consequences. If false theology comes along, it's like the waves that seek to take you in a direction, throw you against the rocks. Even if the ship captain promises you he's going to give you a higher life. And good theology always comes with the same thing. It comes with direction, with force, to carry you on towards godliness on the path that has been set before us. Doctrine must have application. No, in fact, essentially, doctrine is application. So don't think you can start uh, uh, believing false things without falling into sin and being led down a path. And wherever you see sinful patterns in your life, things you can't get over, change, overcome, repeating fallings, first ask yourself, what about God am I misbelieving? What about the scripture am I not understanding? For ungodliness always draws a line back to ungodly doctrine. It's necessarily true. So here, Paul is saying empty talking, this, this talk that does nothing or at least does nothing good. This will include conspiracy. Now, I don't have any proof for this. But I'm pretty sure if you connect the numbers between these chapters in the Bible and you look at the American president at the moment, at conspiracies. Or it can be slandering. You know, that they're just sharing gossip about people to slander other teachers. Because it's called poisoning the well. It's just so popular among false teachers. Though they know they can't stand up to those teachers in a theological debate. But what they can tell you is just how immoral that person is. Oh, look, you probably don't know this, but they've actually they've got a pretty dark past. Oh, I don't know if I would talk to them if I was you. You know, they've, they've done all these secret things. You won't hear this from anyone else, but I know. And you never can get that out of your mind. Slander. It sticks. It's empty talking. Or it's irrelevant speculations about theology that, again, have no application for life. That stuff, it's, it's wind in a box. Get rid of it. Or any teaching that encourages you to remain idle unemployed, isolated, go camping, find Jesus on the mountains. There's this higher spirituality that, that really separates you from the real life lived on this earth. Avoid it. It's empty talking. It's unuseful. It's unhelpful. <clears throat> Let's keep on going. We cannot spend this long on each verse, guys. You need to go quicker, okay? <clears throat> empty talkers and deceivers. Here's, here's, here's the, the base of it. God is a God of truth. Jesus was truth incarnate. He came, he spoke truth, he sent ministers of truth. The word, like Psalm will tell us, is it is like silver purified seven times is the truth of God. There's no error. And so fundamentally, Satan, we're told, was a deceiver from the beginning. 
Truth is the enemy of Satan. Satan is the enemy of truth. And therefore, fundamentally, what false teachers are is deceivers. Not only because they teach you things that are not true, but because they lie to you. They mislead you. Let me tell you very clearly, they don't care about you. They want your money. They want your following. They want prestige. They want a crowd. They don't care about you. Truth is love. Love is truth. Somebody teaches you that which is untrue, they don't love you. Even if they promise you, they do. It is false doctrine, yes, like we said before, heresies, but it's also promising things they cannot deliver like a cloud with no rain. They promise this greater spirituality, you know, that you can ascend to. But friends, we know that there is no higher spiritual life than to know God and his son who he has sent, Jesus Christ. That is eternal life. They promise this greater, more, more elated holiness when they don't realize that holiness starts in the mind on how we think and believe. They don't know what holiness is. They're not more holy than you because they don't have a job and they live in this cave and, and, and they do all this ridiculous amount of fasting or, or whatever. They speak in tongues more than you. They, None of, no, none of that matters. Start with belief. It's so common among heretics. You'll try and come with an argument, and, and they'll ask you about your sin. They'll, they'll point to how you're, you're lower down on the ladder than them, and therefore you can't pull them down. Touch not the Lord's anointed. <clears throat> this is a fun passage, right? Amen? They'll promise this greater revelation from God, what they've heard without realizing that we know that the greatest revelation of God that there is, is Jesus Christ in the gospel. If we understand that from this finished, perfect, closed book canon of scripture, they can't touch us. They offer us what we do not want, a greater revelation. I don't want it. I have it all right here, right here. I got it leather bound so no one can add to it. They promise greater riches and money and blessings without realizing that 1 Timothy tells us that all those who chase money end up falling onto spikes. They pierce themselves. The love of money is the root of all evil. They think that's a sign of godliness. They want to promise you this greater position. Right, Rise up from your little human, normal Christian reality. Come and sit with us on the thrones of the Christian world without realizing that that exact temptation is what pulled Adam and Eve out of righteousness and into sin. Be like God, they were told. That is the exact thing that we're told that the, in, in, again, the book of Jude and 2 Peter, that the angels who fell because they desired something that was not to be theirs. They did not stay in their proper dwelling. They were given a position. They wanted something higher. God cast them down for that. And so it is that all true Christians know humility is the way to exaltation. Our king went to the cross. He didn't scramble for a throne. He received it as a blessing from the Father. Or they, they promised greater miracles, these deceivers not realizing that Jesus spoke very clearly, saying an adulterous generation who aren't satisfied with God and his truth, it's those people who desire a miracle and demand a sign. They promise you greater miracles. We've got it over here. Massive red flag. They're deceiving you. Know the scripture and you will have the defense against all of these false teachers. Further on, he says, verse 11, uh, sorry, at the end of verse 10 here, he says, especially those of the circumcision party. This is going to um, uh, come in also down in verse uh, 13, uh, sorry, verse 14, when he says, uh, teach them not to be devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. What's going on here is that uh, one of the, the main heresies of the early church was, was Gnosticism, and another one of them was legalistic faith. You have to receive the Old Testament covenant sign, which is circumcision. You have to do that or you're not saved. And, or, or they will add to that things like certain days and feasts from the Old Testament you have to keep. Certain, certain laws that you have to obey, foods you can't touch or eat, things you can't look at, it's all very important. These rules to be saved. Paul's talking about both of those. 
They're both evidently on the island of Crete. They both need to be fought against by Titus and the other elders. They're going to say they are especially the ones to look out for. There's some explanation of that term. They will go on, even he quotes, look down at verse 12. Uh, He quotes even somebody from their own history books. I think about 500, 600 years before Paul's writing, he's quoting one of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, uh, or other word, a poet. And he just writes beautifully. Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true, right? That's one of that's, the guy's a Cretan. He's not a racist. He's one of their own. He's famous for his poetry, and he writes about his own people on his own island saying, lazy gluttons, bunch of fools, man, it sucks here. That, that's pretty hard for the tourism department of Crete uh, to, to sort of overcome that. Uh, well, Paul doesn't mind quoting it. He's sort of saying, I'm not attacking the Cretans. You guys apparently agree. You know, and it's true. This is what you like. <clears throat> By nature, this is, this is what you like. And so, <clears throat> verse 15, we're going to come back and sort of look at the response to these men, but we're sort of surveying the whole text, looking at what Paul says about these men. Look at verse 15. To the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable disobedient, unfit for any good work. What he's saying here is that the false teachers, because they start with a rotten heart, because they start with false teaching, nothing they do is actually as pure and as holy as they tell you it is. This is what we need to realize, that as Jesus was speaking in Mark against the Jews, and as Paul says in Galatians, and again he hints at here, is that we're going to be, we are so, so inwardly, naturally religious. Every single one of us, we've all got superstitions, Catholicism, Judaizing, uh, inhibitions within us that need to be put aside. One of those ways that that manifests is by adding laws, adding rules about things you can eat, touch, jobs you can do, music styles you can listen to, clothing types you can wear. We want to add to say more than what the scripture says. Now, it's true, Scripture will speak to all of those things, but we get set in our own culture and traditions and want to add rules on top of that. What Paul is saying is, there's this group of guys over here who are so holy, they don't work, they don't touch the usual life, and they're trying to teach you to be like that. It's not about pure physical things in your world that you need to sprinkle and get clean. It's not about pure jobs that you have. It's not about pure places that you go, pure days that you worship on. It's about pure people. If you're a pure person, you can have any job, as long as it's not directly sinful, it's pure. It's worship to God. If you're a pure person, anywhere you go, you're able to be a pure person. There's no sinful locations. If you're impure, if you start without true faith in Jesus Christ, if you start on the basis of false teaching, No matter what you do, no matter how many little oil things you spray, no matter how often you pray, no matter what you do, everything you touch is defiled. Here's the reality. Let me say this clearly. If you're a Christian, you going to the toilet is a more pure act than those false teachers praying in tongues on a mountaintop. Disgusting and filthy. Us? This is able to be done to the glory of God. That's the reality. There is nothing they do that is pure. No matter what they paint it like, they're impure. Their conscience on the inside, the truth that they teach, everything, even though they, verse 16, profess to know God, I don't care what they say, they can call themselves an apple if they want to. I'm looking at their life. They're a non-Christian. They're a false teacher. They're deceiving the church. They need to be dealt with. And so Paul gives us some clear outlines on what to do. So Because here's the effect that they have. If you go back to verse 11, we see the effect that this is having. They must be silenced since they're upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. To a pastor who spends his life every day seeking to equip and build up people, eternal souls, into likeness of Christ, 
and in a more wide range, seek to do that for families, bringing godly men to be husbands, godly women to be great wives, children to be submissive, growing up in righteousness, becoming men and women of their own. Those family units that, that you would sow into with truth and with prayer and with counseling, that is the life and heart and hard work of pastors. To hear them, that false teachers come in and tear down those families, send them away to false churches, have them all believing false teaching. The pastor knows those ideas have consequences. You're leading my sheep who are ultimately Christ's sheep to the slaughter. This is heavy for Paul, for Titus, and should be for those elders that Titus will lay his hands on. Families are being destroyed and ruined and led away. Here's another reality. If you've ever done renovations, maybe you're a builder, maybe, maybe you're a wrecker, maybe you've done gardening, you know it's true. Things take about a millionth of the time to tear down than what they take to build up. You want to put a hole in a wall? Done in three seconds. You want to tear down some, some, some window? You want to rip up some flooring? You want to rip up some, some, some vines and some roses? Done. Give yourself five seconds and a big big hammer. You can do it. You want to cultivate a beautiful garden? You want to put up a well-done wall, painted and secure? You want to lay down flooring that is well-aligned well and secure? That takes hours, days, weeks. So it is that when pastors labor, it takes time to build people up brick by brick, knowledge by knowledge, sin by sin, law by law. It, it takes so much time, and it's all worth it. But to see somebody come in, with a few twists of the words, a few winks of the eye, flashes of showing miracles, to tear that all down takes only a second. And therefore, the men of God have to be swift. And that is where we go now. The response of the men of God to the false teachers. We see, beginning in verse 11, they must be asked very nicely to just, just rethink. You know, please... They must be silenced. Look verse down in uh, look down into verse fourteen. I uh, sorry, verse thirteen. Therefore, rebuke them sharply. Take out the blade, let it glisten, and then swing. Aim third. Get your blade, swing, then think about where you're pointing it. Just get rid of these guys. This is this is the reality that they must be silenced. This is not to make make very clear. It's not physical. It might be. Somebody comes in here during the preaching, wants to, wants to take people into false... They will be taken down by our deacons and politely shown the curb. I know. But I'm saying, in general, that doesn't solve anything. Because the power that they have is their, is their teaching, is their lives, is their secrecy. So it's not a physical defense. Uh, when he says that they must be silenced, it means that you're, you're speaking. It means truth. But it can't just be a request. He doesn't mean Titus. Tell those men who don't listen to any authority that they really ought to be quiet. Just tell them. We've already said they don't listen. They're, they're insubordinate. They don't care. They're their own masters. So what does he mean by silenced? He means what he means in 2 Corinthians 10. He means go to warfare with the weapons of preaching. Tear down strongholds of opinions and philosophies that are built up against Jesus Christ. Get your church, teach very openly and clearly about the follies of those heresies, of those false teachings, and the dangers of those lifestyles. That's what he means. Teach openly, teach clearly, teach sharply. You must be open because these men love one-on-one -on -one conversations. They love to take you aside and talk to you one-on-one -on -one and do that to as many people as they can. Uh, Second Timothy, First Timothy tells us that they sneak into women's houses and, and convince them sneakily. They hate the light like cockroaches, so drag them there and stomp them spiritually. You know, <clears throat> It must be done, it must be done. Let me also say swiftly. You don't wait around to see what damage they'll do. We know from Paul they will do damage. It's always, it's always the temptation to, to just know, what will people think of me if I say this about that person? What will people think of me if I treat that person like that? That doesn't matter to the people of God. 
I don't care if you think that I'm a little harsh. If you think that your pastor is just a little bit strong on the way he said that to those people, whatever. You would prefer to have that than to him stand back and say, all right, we'll see how he goes and damage you. Damage your faith. Damage your friends. Lead you into sin. Lead you into great regret. Maybe even loss of money and years in a cult. Whatever it be, there needs to be strength. Think of, think of Samuel. As he goes and sees Saul standing next to Agag, he was swift. He hacked him to pieces. This prophet of God hacks this enemy king. Think of Goliath. He was dealt with swiftly, stoned to the head, then remove the head and dangle it in front of everybody else. Think of the prophets of Baal that Elijah dealt with swiftly, calling down fire to burn their sacrifices, then getting his men to take those prophets into the valley and slaughtered them. Think of Galatians in chapter 5, verse 12. I will never, ever, it might be a favorite Bible verse. I don't know. I don't know. It's up there. It's up there. Galatians 5, verse 12. Paul's saying in this context to those false teachers in Galatia who keep on teaching everybody that to be saved, you have to be circumcised. Here's what Paul wants to happen. He says, I would that those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. A little bit of translation. What's emasculate mean, mum? It means chop off your reproductive organs. He's quite poetic in what he's saying. He's saying, you want to you cut that much off? Take it back a few inches. Get rid of the lot. Because you, reproducing, getting around, showing yourself as a man in any way is dangerous. Paul wants them to chop it off. I don't think I've ever said anything that harsh. Therefore, I will never let people say that that we are too harsh in anything. That we say, I like the line though. It's it's in the the ammo kit. I'd love to use that line someday. But that's Paul. right? We we know how how natural it is that we hear this. I, I can see some of you kind of squirming. What about being nice? Maybe you're, maybe you're a partially English wonderful lady and you want to say, oh, maybe we should talk to them about things first. And you are a, an, an unkind and, you know, just <clears throat> you've preached better sermons, okay? That's, that's what we should tell them and we would really encourage them to rethink what they're saying. <laughs> you got that politeness. <clears throat> well, get a little bit of Scottish into you, like John Knox. Go back and read some John Knox, the way that he would preach against those, those whores of the Catholic Church. But ultimately, friends, and, and this is real, we can't be more Christian than Christ. Can, can we just agree on that? That for Jesus, loving the holiness of his Father, that should be on display in the temple, open doors to the nations, he sees men making money at the sacrifice of Gentiles hearing the word of God. He enters he sits there patiently. Now, he's a peaceful guy. He gave them some time. Platted a whip with leather while he spoke to his disciples and then started cracking it, whipping it on the backs of those who would stay in his temple, thundering like a prophet of God, turning over their, te- their tables. And the disciples were embarrassedly in the corner thinking, what is this man doing? How unchristian. You can't be more Christian than Jesus. We can't be more apostolic than Paul the Apostle, who, like we said before, walks into a church luncheon, points out the pastor in the place, tells him to stand up, and in the presence of all, rebukes him. We can't consider ourselves as as less necessary than this. Yes, we, we know. Christians should be peaceful. Men of God who preach the word should be peaceful when there is peace. But we can't, like Jeremiah said, say, peace, peace. When there is no peace, that's called cowardness, cowardly actions. The last time I read Revelation 21 verse 8, cowards were at the top of the list of those among immoral, sexual, adulterers, murderers, liars, and thieves. The first is cowards of those thrown into the fiery furnace of hell. self Preservation is always the human instinct. Laying down self for the flock is Christianity. That's Christ-likeness. Even if it earns yourself a hard or harsh reputation. Paul said this. Paul spoke to this. He knew what was being said against him when he wrote to the Corinthians, when he wrote to the Galatians, saying, am I your enemy now because I'm speaking the truth? 
I know what slander is against me, that I'm harsh and I'm mean, but I'm saying this for your good. And ultimately, my words of harshness are against those who would lead you astray. This is the love of God to his people. We can't, we can't see these sorts of things and think this is probably just a first century idea. It's probably just a maybe end of the world idea. But for us at the moment, we're kind of safe. Let me ask you a few questions, friend. Are you, are you careful? Are you hearing the word of God, going home throughout the week, reading carefully, reading people from history, reading good teachers of the word of God? Are you educating yourself? Are you watchful about what you let come into your mind? Are you, are you very watchful about what, what teachers? Don't just think you're, you're super open-minded because of the huge spectrum of Christians that you listen to. Tighten that up a bit. Yes, it's, it's okay to listen to things, to know what the, the other guys are saying, but, but don't, don't keep such an open, receptive mind that heresy can come in and take root. It is destructive. It has taken away strong men of God. It can take away anybody. Are you watchful? Friends, are you prayerful? In Scripture, tied so closely together is prayer and the Word of God. I would encourage you, spend time. If you struggle with prayer, if you struggle with time in the Word, my encouragement for tackling both is go this week and read Psalm 119 in your morning devotions. Because as you read it, you fall in love with the Word of God. It's all about the Word of God, but it is also a prayer that you can pray to the Lord to enhance your love of Scripture. Are you praying over your own soul? And are you praying that God would send biblical pastors? Are you praying for the church at large and your local church, your brothers and sisters, keeping interlinked arms in this battle together, watching for one another? Are you on guard against all those that the devil will send, smiling with tempting teachers and, and, and even a music album and, and money and smiles and all of this? Be on guard, friends. Don't be critical and cynical. Be careful. Be discerning. Be biblical. Friends, I also want to ask you, are you bold? Are you bold when it comes to confrontation? Do you confront when needed, right? Not somebody who loves confrontation, again, calling everybody a false teacher, getting into fights over different views of intratinitarian relationships as it relates to the sovereign decrees of God and all of these things. Important, let's talk. Let's not come to blows over that. But are you confronting people when you hear error? Do you smile and nod when you disagree in your heart and sort of think that that's dangerous? Friend, you speak up. You love them. You speak the truth to them in love. Don't wait for them to get so bad that the elders need to come in and put them down. That's, this is brother and sister work. Friends, are you praying for future pastors of this church? I, I've said, are you praying for the current pastors? Please be doing that. Paul would beg his churches to pray for him. I'm a lesser man than Paul. I dare to say, Vicar's a lesser man than Paul. We need your prayers all the more. But are you also praying for future leaders and teachers? Those who maybe are still young men who will rise up within our church. Maybe those who are not yet here but will come. Are you praying for them? For them to be fruitful, peaceable, godly fighters for truth? And friends, I want to ask you, are you pure? As we read in verse 15, it said, To the pure, all things are pure. You have freedom in Christ. To the impure, nothing you do, no matter how religious, is truly pure. I need to ask this because, because there is so much false teaching, so much deception in the world, in the church, that we must ask ourselves. Friends, I need you to ask yourself, am I in Christ, saved by faith alone? Do I look at his work on the cross and do I trust it? Not, do you have every bit of unshakable assurance in the world? I'm not asking that. But do you? Look at Christ on the cross and consider that, yes, my sin was upon him. My punishment deserved by me for my sin was poured out on him by the Father. Do you believe that? Have you, by faith in Jesus Christ, been declared righteous and have you repented of your sin? Has your life turned around? Are you living in Christ a new life because you're a new creation? 
Are you believing the historical truth of Christianity and putting to death sin, walking not in perfection, but in bit by bit, more and more each day, a righteousness that looks like Jesus Christ? Are you living in accord with the calling that you have received in Jesus Christ? Friends, if not, today, come and speak to an elder. Today, though, while you sit where you are, place your faith in Jesus Christ. Beg him to give you the gift of faith and beg him to give you the heart of repentance against sin that you need to live. Without holiness, no man will see the Lord. This is the truth of God. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray that God would bless this to us. God, we thank you for all your gifts, for all good things that you give to us. We thank you for this word, this Bible that you have inspired through your prophets and, and apostles. We thank you, God, for this light in a dark place, for this, for this truth among so many lies in the world that we can know you truly because you have graciously condescended to speak to us. We thank you, God, that in a world filled with so many false shepherds, unfaithful shepherds, we have you, our true shepherd, the good shepherd who laid his life down for the sheep. He gave his own life as a ransom for the guilty. God, we thank you for, for this word, especially this morning. I thank you, God, for this church, where truth is loved, where doctrine is held in honor, where your son is worshiped, where righteousness is emphasized. God, I thank you for this body. I thank you that, for the privilege that it is to preach here and, and be among this people. But God, I do pray that you would be the ultimate defender. For unless, unless the Lord keeps guard over a house, the watchman watches in vain. God, may you weed out false teaching, false beliefs that is in the heart of each of us. Would you weed out those who would seek to destroy the church? But God, ultimately, as Titus was told, would you bring about healing? Would you, where there is ignorance, bring sound teaching? Where there's laziness in knowledge of you, would you bring zeal for the truth? Where there is discouragement, Lord, would you bring joy and encouragement and assurance in Jesus Christ so that none of these false promises of false teaching can be listened to? We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for your grace in him through the gospel. And everybody said, amen, amen. This sermon was preached at Hope Reformed Baptist Church in Logan, Australia. For more information about our church, visit our website at hoperb.church. If you have been blessed, please leave us a review wherever you listen. We pray this message has been used by God to grow and encourage you in your Christian walk. Thank you for listening. Soli Deo Gloria.